Good morning. Hope you guys are doing great. I think we're going to have to bust out a few chairs this morning. That's a good problem to have, isn't it? Um, I just want to thank our church. You know, um, as a, a guys, we've only been in this building and we've only been planning this church for seven months. So if you're brand new, we're so glad you're here. This is Spotswood at Ladysmith, and we're very grateful. We just passed seven months, but I can tell you last Sunday, I was able to just, the week before that, take off some time. My wife and I and kids, we did a staycation. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's basically vacation without spending a lot of money somewhere and then have to recuperate when you get back, right? And so we stayed at home and we slept in almost every morning, which was awesome. And we threatened our kids, and if they came out before nine o'clock, uh, they were going to stand in the corner for hours. So they listened and played with their Legos. It was awesome. Um, what's funny is uh, we were having a little science issues toward the end of the week, and my wife went and got a refill. I do this NyQuil thing. I don't know if you're a NyQuil taker or not, but when I get sinuses, I go and get NyQuil. And uh, so she went and got it, and it was up in the cab. Now I went to grab it, and it kind of looked like a little different bottle, you know, and I put it in, and it tasted a little different. It was like a little bit more thinner than normal. And so the next day, that was, uh, that was Sunday, last Sunday night, and, and she, she basically says, Rick, get up, and I'm freaking out. And I literally tried to get up, and I felt like my head was attached to the pillow. Come to find out, it was not NyQuil, it was Sleep Aid. And so just check the bottle next time before uh, you go to get some of that, just, just so you know. We had a good laugh after that. Uh, it was good stuff. So it does work, though. I don't think I moved all night, so it was great. Um, wow, you're, on a, you're here for a great Sunday. This is our second baptism. We're so excited. We'll be doing that at the end of the service today. And so we're thrilled that you're here. We have five people that are going to be following through with obedience and baptism and demonstrating uh, to the world and to us as a body that they are dying to an old life and living a new life, and they are born again. And so we're excited about celebrating that. If you will, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Um, we're going to be starting a new series next week called We Are the Church. And so I invite you, if you don't have a home church, will you come back? And at the end of that, we're going to really push and talk about, some people would call it membership. We're calling it partnership because we believe both the church has a responsibility and as individuals, they have a responsibility to partner with the church for the sake of the gospel. So we're going to be talking about what that looks like at the end and asking people to partner with us as a body, a local body here in Ladysmith. But before this series, I'm going to do uh, this one sermon called, What is the Church or the Church? So I want to kind of get a snapshot. It's not an extensive, exhaustive study. I'll have a little shorter amount of time today than I normally do because of the baptism. So I'm going to try to hit it hard and fast and really talk about what is the church? What does it look like? What's the purpose of the church? And so we're going to be talking about that this morning. Let me go ahead and pray and we'll get right into it. God, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for the people that have come out uh, to some of them I know are here because friends invited them to be a part of the, uh, the celebration and baptism. I'm so thankful for that. God, uh, many are here for the first time because uh, they were invited by a neighbor or a friend or heard about us uh, through social media or just heard through the grapevine about us. And so, Father, I pray that today that your Holy Spirit would do only what it can do, and that's to change hearts and lives. For some reason, you use the preaching of your word uh, to pierce hearts. We know that your word is living and active, and it has the power and the ability 
to take people from, light, from darkness to lightness, from blinding to see. And so, Father, I ask you to do that today. God, I pray that I will decrease and you will increase and allow your, your spirit to rule and reign today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, you know, when we talk about the church, that word drums up a lot of things. There are a lot of people in this room, and some of us have church backgrounds. Some of us may not. Some of us may have church experiences. Some may not. Uh, some of you, I know, as I've gotten to know more and more of the people that are coming on a regular basis, some of you guys have just new to the area and maybe had a church background. Some of you have never even really attended church on a regular basis or been a part of a church on a regular basis. And this is all brand new to you. So when we use that word church, I know immediately what typically comes to our mind is like a building, right, or a place. But if you look actually in the, in the New Testament, the word for church is ekklesia. It's a, it's a Greek word. And it really means called out assembly, okay? Now, it's used about 115 times in the New Testament, and none of those times does it ever refer to a brick-and-mortar place. It never refers to an actual place of meeting. Now, it means assembling together of people. So these are some of the words that the, the church is used, or phrases that are used for the church in the New Testament. The body of Christ. The flock of God, God's heritage, house of God, spiritual house, temple of God, vineyard, assembly of the saints, uh, branch of God's planting. And the one that I think is probably used the most and my favorite is the bride of Christ. And literally the scriptures say that Jesus loves the church. In fact, Ephesians 5.25 says this, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this is what we need to know. If you're here this morning, and you confess Jesus, and you confess that Jesus um, is the only way to get to heaven, and he's the only one who paid the penalty for our sins, and because of that, now not only do you, do you have new birth, you have freedom from the punishment of sin, but now you have the hope of heaven, and you have a relationship and peace with God now through the blood of Christ, the Bible says very clearly that we should love the church as well. So if we're calling ourselves Christians, that's many Christ. We should be like Christ. And as we talked all the way back in our vision and value series, that we're all made in the very image of God, Imago Dei. So we should be like God. And the exact representation of God was Jesus Christ here on earth. So to be more like the image of God we were supposed to be made from the very beginning is to be more like Christ. And so we become more more human and more alive when we're more like Christ. And so if we're going to do that, then we need to, to love the church and give our life for the church. And so I love a guy named C.H. Spurgeon who uh, pastored a very long time ago in London. This is what he says about the church. He says, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect. And I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it, it would have not been a perfect church after I had became a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it's the dearest place on earth. To us, And all who have first given themselves to the Lord should, as speedily as possible, also give themselves to the Lord's people. 
How else is there to be a church on earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. So what C.A. Spurgeon says this, there's no such thing as a perfect church, right? And there's no such thing as perfect people. And so if you were to find one, the minute you would join it, you'd screw it up. You'd mess it up, okay? I know that's true of me. And so the reality is we're called to love the church, just as Christ loved the church. What does that look like? Now, I will say when we talk about the church and when I even bring up those words, for many of us in this room, there's huge hurdles, huge hurdles. And it's because of the past wounds of a church or someone who called themselves a Christian or somehow said that they were a part of a church, right? We've been a part of churches. Maybe you've been a part of a church and it's split. It's split because one person wanted blue carpet and the other one wanted red, right? Or they split because of, of, of gossip. Or maybe you were under a harsh shepherd who was just a tyrannical leader and he dominated. And they, they, they caused a great rift in the church. Maybe you're here this morning and you were a part of a church that just started going wayward, started drifting from God's word, and, and therefore it's not only dead, it's, it's dying and dead now. So there's all kinds of things that we can experience. I can tell you personally growing up in a church, a couple of churches that we were in growing up, I remember there are a lot of things that happened that I look back on now and I'm like, that was not of God. And it could have easily in first season, it did turn me away from Jesus and the church. But I want to tell you, there's no reason for us to turn, even those things that have happened. Another reason may be uh, because of the, let me back up just for a second. Let me, let me remind you, with those wounds is this. The church is full of sinners. We're, we're full of sinners. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. And he, he probably wrote most of the New Testament, right? He was born again, but he struggled. Why did he struggle? Guess what? There's this thing called sanctification. It's an awkward dance. It's called two steps forward, three steps back. One step forward, two steps back. Five steps forward, two steps it's, it's not pretty at times. And I just want to tell you, if I haven't offended you yet, just wait. I probably will, okay? I will probably do something or say something. I was a student pastor for 20-some years. I can't tell you how many times I had to apologize to students for saying or doing something stupid that I, I thought was funny at the time or I thought was a good idea, and then I realized it wasn't, right? Or I offended somebody or came across wrong. And so the reality is we're all, we're all even if we're born again, we're, we're a work in progress. We're a workmanship that God is working on and sanctifying us. Realize that sanctification is messy. The second hurdle that we have for many of us when it comes to the church is just the hurt and pain in life. You know, the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus said, in this life, there will be trials. This week, in this room, I know there's heartache from this past week. There's trials. There are things that many of us are going through this week that just last week we did not know about. And we did not know what was going to happen. And now we're facing these things. And they're hard. And they're not easy. And you may be saying to me, where's God? Where is Jesus in the middle of this? Let me remind you. Do you know where God most tangibly meets you? He meets you with his body. 
with his people. See, anybody in this room who's ever faced difficult times and been plugged in to a true Bible-believing, gospel-centered, God-exalting church, and they've gotten sick, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get so many casseroles, you have to freeze most of them, right? I mean, you have people show up that love on you and take care of you. They'll, they'll, they'll come and visit you in the hospital. They'll call you. They'll text you. They'll pray for you. They'll look after your kids. Do you know what is happening at that moment? This is what's happening at this, this moment. Jesus is saying, I've got you. I'm here. I love you. He most likely will work through his people to love on you. That is what the church is for. Understanding. I think back, there was a time where, I guess it was almost 10 years ago, um, we were in the process of adopting a call came and we went and we were away for two weeks and somebody stepped in and took care of our yard. They, they mowed the grass, they bush hogged, they picked up all the legs. In fact, my wife will say, remember 10 years ago when the yard, like that person did the yard, can you do that again? Like, no, I can't. Uh, and so we actually did, they did it better than I would have done it. And that's what happens when the church steps in. The church loves on people in difficult times. Many of us here may be in a situation where our marriage is in crisis. We've lost our job. We've maybe even been caught in an addiction. And I see what happens when you are able to be vulnerable and be in community and share that. What happens is through the Holy Spirit, through his people, God steps into your life and helps you in the midst of that pain and hurt. That's what happens. And so I want to encourage you today that the church is God's plan. See, some of you think here that you just need some practical steps. You, if I can just get these three steps or these 10 steps or these five steps and deal with my crisis, then I'll be better. The problem is if I give you those three or five or 10 steps and you do them and nothing changes, you're even worse off than you were before. Some of us think we just need practical ideas, but the reality is this, you need to see God for who he is and you need to gather with God's people for what they are as imperfect as they are, and let Jesus do what he can do. That's what needs to happen. Now, you say, well, what does Jesus do? I'm so glad you asked. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and we will talk about that. Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 13, it says this. But now in Christ, Jesus... But now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that, in, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. 
And for through him, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I always share a big idea and a big question. The big idea is this this morning. The church is a diverse group of people who gather and live among each other as God's family members, joined together through the gospel of Christ for God's glory and his purpose. That's a working definition. It's not a perfect, it's just basically kind of the parts that I put together I see in scripture of God working, and I think it's true, a reflection of what the scriptures say in our text today. So what is the, what is the glory? The glory of God was to give his son as a sacrifice for us with the purpose of reconciling man to himself. We learned a few weeks ago on Easter when we talked about when Jesus says, glorify yourself, and God says, yes, I'll glorify myself, and I will glorify you again, myself again by sending you to the cross. It actually was God's pleasure to pour out his wrath on his son because it was going to bring reconciliation to, okay, uh, for, for us, to, to the Father. In fact, Ephesians 3.10 says this, so that through the mystery hidden for ages, in God, I'm sorry, let me scoot up. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. See, the glory and the purpose of God is to proclaim the gospel and to live as salt and light within our culture. Salt is a preserving agent. It's a, it's a it's an agent in those days that was used to preserve meat, to allow things not to become rotten. Okay? Our culture needs preserving. We need to infuse our life into the lives of others and not stay around light, but get into the darkness. Get into those areas that are deteriorating, that are broken down, that are in desperate need of the gospel. And the gospel will have ramifications to be light and to be sought, to make the gospel known. See, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. The church is not a place, it's a people. We don't have a Mecca, okay? We're talking about there's the universal church for all that have put faith in Jesus, both in the past, the present, and the future. That is the church, the universal church. But we are talking about the local church. There are local churches just like this church that we have to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We have to be Jesus to other people. In fact, you are probably the only Jesus some people will ever see. Do you understand that? So we have to be infused in the community. We have to be infused in the life and the culture of where we live, work, and play. The whole idea in verse 17, the reason Jesus came was to pay the price, to buy us back 
from slavery to sin, to purchase us with his precious blood, to, to appease the wrath of God, to give us peace. And as we talked about before, peace, that peace really is shalom. It, it means more than just peace, like peace of mind, but it literally means to make complete. And literally, there's a God-shaped vacuum in all of us. And when, when God fills us through his Holy Spirit, we're made complete. We're born again. We're made fully alive for Christ. This is what God, this is what Christ came for. And this is what God's called us to be. We are coming to share this good news. In verse 17, it says, Peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now, The church is a strange, strange mix of people, a peculiar people the, the scripture talks about. So let me remind us that we're, we're kind of all odd in our own ways, right? I mean, we all have certain things about us, and we're different. All of us are different. I mean, every one of us are, are different. We're, you may come across similar personalities and similar physical makeup, but we're all different. And the reality in this room, you have some people that God saved, that were somewhat near. In other words, they grew up in church. In this text, we, we see them talking about the Jewish culture and the ordinances and all these things, but that never saved anyone. That did not rescue. That did not pay the price when anyone sinned. It did not bring them to new birth. It was only through Jesus. Now, they were close. They began to understand that it was a picture of Christ. So they were they were had a working knowledge of what, how this was supposed to work for the Messiah. So they were near. And many of you grew up in church, and you got your Awana vest, and you maybe still have it framed. It kind of looks like a patent, uh, like, you know, patches there with all your awards. And that's great. But guess what? God rescued you and, and maybe saved you from, maybe not saved you out of, but he also saved you from thinking that somehow you were self-righteous, that somehow you could work your way into a relationship with God. Just as we see in this text where the Israelites, uh, the, the Jewish culture, somehow thought that they had special favor because of this. But God was sending his son that he could make peace. In other words, he could crush that, hostil that wall of hostility between the division between us and God. He tore the robe and opened up the presence, the holy of holy, through the work of Jesus. You know, many in this room are former alcoholics or former adulterers, former thieves, former embezzlers, former murderers. And you say, well, murderer, didn't Jesus say if you have anger against your brother, it's the same as murder or lustful thought, then you're same as adulterer? So everybody in this room comes with something. Maybe they were far away. Maybe they were close. Maybe they thought somehow they could earn their way, and so God saved them from a, maybe being a former self-righteous person, and somehow religious effort could appease and be accepted by God apart from a relationship with Jesus. And verse 20 and 21 says this, that the church has Christ as the cornerstone, okay? I want you to think about that. I don't know if any of you have ever built anything when it comes to like a, a building or a house. But the foundation is the most critical part. You can have as, as pretty a uh, home, inside kitchen to die for, and bathrooms, and tiles, and hardwood floors, and expensive uh, 
fixtures and the upgrade of everything when it comes to appliances. But if your foundation is broken, it's worthless. No one's going to give you any money for it. And so we see here that Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the one who our faith is built on. So I want you to write this down. The church has Christ as the cornerstone and the Holy Spirit as the mortar. And we're the living stones of God, the house that God is building for his church. We are the bride of Christ. This is what Christ is showing to us. This is what the text is telling us this morning. See, when we see Christ, we also need to understand that this word, in John 1 it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, the living, active word of God. In fact, anytime you ever come in here and listen to a sermon, we're always going to be tied to a text. This is the living word of God. It is a one continuous narrative of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about Christ, we're talking about being the cornerstone and the word being the foundation by which we live our life. This is the word of God, and this is the foundation we're living our life on. Christ as the cornerstone, listen, is about not works, not religious activity, but it's about experiencing the grace of God. Have you experienced the grace of God today? Have you truly experienced the grace of God? Let me tell you something. When you experience the grace of God, it will change you forever. It will change you forever. Have you experienced the grace of God and I'm not just talking about an intellectual knowledge, but I'm talking about an experience that you walk in the grace of God, and therefore you understand that it's only by grace through faith, it is not of yourselves, that you've been given this free gift, and you've been reconciled to the Father, your Creator. And when you do that, let me remind you, you will not have a big as issue with extending grace to others. I know, by the way, I know Vic did an incredible job last week. I'm so thankful for him. And, uh, and then when Matt steps in, I'm so thankful for both of those guys. And just everything went smooth, and I know that. I'm so grateful. I know he talked about forgiveness last week. And I'm not sure if he used this phrase or not. But when we say we've received the forgiveness from Christ and we can't extend it to others, it's literally like setting on a branch and cutting it off with a saw. It does no good. Because if we've experienced God's grace and his forgiveness, we will extend it to others. Do you understand? We will extend it to others. Verse 19 talks about us being a family. It says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See, we, we have a hard time understanding this. Anybody here ever been outside the country? You ever been outside the country? If you've ever been outside the country, you need to understand, okay, this. That being outside the country, it gives you a new experience to understand the privileges of what it means to be a citizen, okay? You need to understand that. Um, and, and with that, um, with that, okay, you need to understand that 
with the citizenship, okay, there's certain privileges. There's certain benefits. In fact, go home today. If something happens major, you call 911. You know what's going to happen, right? Someone's going to show up for help, correct? Right? Or if you go to a foreign country and they lock you up illegally, what's going to happen? Someone's going to come, uh, uh, ambassador or somebody's going to show up and, and somehow really help you, okay? So understanding that family citizenship has its privileges. It has its benefits. So understanding that. And this is what we see. We see the church is a family. It's the household of God. You know, in a family, you have all stages of life, typically. Did you know that? Um, our girls, you know, one time when they were born, they were in diapers, right? Um, they um, couldn't feed themselves. They um, couldn't walk. They couldn't communicate their need, right? And so we, we had these different stages in life with our kids. Do you realize in the church, in the church, there's different stages? There's different levels of maturity. So you have some, right, that are babes in Christ. And they may be older. It has nothing to do really with age, okay? So they, they may be older, like age-wise, but they may be babes in Christ. And listen, when you have kids, okay, somehow they don't have to earn their favor in family or worth in the family, correct? I mean, when, when they're little, we don't say, well, because you're, you're not doing the laundry yet or you're not folding the clothes or you're not washing you know, the dishes that somehow you, you, you don't rank. You're still valuable, right? And I think right now, my wife and I are kind of in the stage where our girls are beginning to grow up and they're starting to take on responsibilities. And sometimes we find ourselves easily irritated or frustrated because we, in some ways, we want them to almost act like adults, but they're still kids, right? And sometimes in the church, we need to realize that we get easily irritated with people in the church, or maybe we get frustrated. Some of that may be revealing our own spiritual immaturity, but some of it is because we're expecting these people to eat meat or act more mature than they really are spiritually yet. And we get easily frustrated, and we have, to, we have to remember that everyone is equal in the family of God, no matter when you came into the family. And we don't, we don't somehow hierarchy the value of someone in the church. And all of us are part of the family, and all of us have equal access and equal rights as being family members in the family of God. See, we are imperfect people who need a savior. And working together, we build relationships with those in need to glorify God by striving to be like Christ and share his love with others. So that's what the church is. But I want to remind you that we have no shot at that ultimately unless we're willing to set down those hurdles we talked about. See, many of us walk into circumstances with the idea of the church and we have these huge hurdles hurdles of bitterness and unforgiveness and somehow we've got in our mind that we're here and we know a few names and we'll, we may come to a community group 
every once in a while, or we'll check this one out, but then we're going to go to this one. And the minute people start to get to know us, we start putting the walls up and we start backing out. Can I tell you something? One, we want to create an environment, as possible with a ladysmith, that no one is in the bleachers. There's no fans here. We're, we're all in. We're all in the field. We're all working together. We're a coach. We're a player. We're a trainer. We're someone on the field who's trying to do everything we can to advance God's kingdom through obedience to his great commission. That's what we want to create. But can I tell you something? The first step to really being a part of, of a body of Christ, the bride of Christ, is being in community. Because what will happen is you'll begin to see that you spur one another. See, I'll ask people all the time, what's your favorite verse? They quote this one, as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. They love that verse, right? You know what happens when iron sharpens iron? There's heat. There's friction. There's sparks, right? There's irritations. Guess what? That's what God uses sometimes. I don't know about you, but can your biological family, can your family or whatever, how you, God built your family, can your family irritate you? Okay. Can they get on your nerves? Absolutely. Can they, do they know how to push your buttons? Absolutely. Guess what? But you let somebody come in and try to mess with your family, what are you going to do? You're going to step in, right? And so this reality is this. Um, Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says this. Let us not consider, uh, let us consider how we can stir up one another toward love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as some in our habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Literally, that means to stir up. It actually means to irritate. Think about that. To irritate each other, to spur each other, to push each other. Now, that does not give you a right to be a jerk to somebody, okay, in here. And say, well, I'm just doing what the preacher said. I'm irritating you toward love and good deeds. It means to, if you're going to compete in any way in the church, can I tell you something? Compete to outdo each other in love and good deeds, spurring each other encouraging each other to do just that. That's what I ask you to do. And this is what the scripture encourages us to do. See, in the end, what happens when we have that unforgiveness, our root takes place of bitterness. And this is what happens. We start getting cynical and we start becoming sharp and critical. And then it not just destroys us, it destroys and infects people around us. This is what I've realized as the older I've gotten. And by the way, unfortunately, I'm getting older and older every year. But the scary thing is this, the collateral damage that my own sinful actions have. See, I'm a husband. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a father. I'm a pastor. I'm a friend. Okay? And when we allow bitter root of unforgiveness to come in, we become cynical. In fact... Here, here's a test for you. If you can only see everything that's wrong, but you can't identify anything that's right, most likely there's probably some type of root of bitterness in your heart or unforgiveness. If we always see the weaknesses but never celebrate the strengths, there could be a root of bitterness creeping in to destroy. Can I tell you something? would I just challenge you to just go all in with the church? I mean, just the next six weeks, I ask you, we're, we're restarting our community groups up next Sunday. If you're here and you have not gotten connected to community, I just challenge you, next six weeks, 
Okay? You come to me after this in weeks, everybody was a jerk to me. I'm not coming back. Okay. All right? I don't think that's going to happen. I think if you generally go in there and you generally are vulnerable and you begin to live out this life with other people, you're going to see the church act like the church. Now, remember, you're imperfect. You got to look in the mirror. There's going to be times where you have to extend forgiveness. There's going to be times where you have to turn around and ask forgiveness. It's part of it, okay? But I want to end you in with this big challenge this morning and this big question. What's keeping you from go all in with the church? You say, well, you're a believer this morning. Jesus died for the church. Jesus loves the church, okay? And this morning, I want to challenge you. We, we probably have close to... 100 people in community groups here and we just launched them in january it hadn't been long but on a regular basis we have 200 plus people coming here so that means more than half of us in this room are not somehow connected to a community group i encourage you find a way you can connect to that community group because god wants to use the church Less what if you're not there there could be a vital part of you not being used in the life of another person to sharpen them and to make them more like Christ in some way, okay? Just like when you're not in a community, God is not now allowed to use that other person in your life to sharpen you. This is what the body looks like. It is God's people working together to reach, but at the same time, as they go out and reach the community, they're sharpening each other to make them more like the image of Christ. Let me pray.